Hello and welcome to Inside Indie Riff. It's brought to you by Message Matters and hosted by me, Peter Duncan. And me, Andy McKeever, and we're going to be in coffee shops and cafes throughout Scotland with a laptop, a microphone, a 15-minute egg timer and a key referendum campaigner. You'll find us on Twitter at Inside Indie Ref and of course on messagematters.co.uk. So let's go to this week's podcast. Good morning and welcome to the latest Inside Indie Ref podcast. We're here in the west end of Glasgow at Avenue G Coffee House with Adam Tompkins, Professor Adam Tompkins, Professor of Public Law at Glasgow University, advisor to the Conservative Strathclyde Commission, advisor to the House of Lords Legal Affairs Committee. Any other titles, Adam? I think that'll be all right for today, yeah. I've only got 15 minutes. (laughs) Adam, let's start with the currency issue. After a yes vote, let's say there's going to be a yes vote. It's been established by the three chancellors, so-called, that there will not be a currency union. Is that definitely correct, do you think? Or, you know, do things change after the referendum? Is it completely realistic to rule that out in its entirety under all circumstances? Yes, I think it is. Um, it's completely realistic for economic reasons, um, but also, and principally actually, for political reasons. I mean, one of the things that has not been very well understood in the debate um, north of the border is what the reaction to a yes vote would be south of the border. Now, I, I think that the rest of the United Kingdom would be um, appalled to see Scotland go. It would be appalled to see Scotland vote to leave the United Kingdom when Scotland does so well out of the Union. You know, Scotland has her own parliament, England doesn't. Uh, Scotland has her own first minister, England doesn't. Scotland has uh, free prescription, no tuition fees. Uh. It's interesting to reflect that the social attitude survey um, shows a significant difference between the proportion of people in Scotland supporting independence and those in the rest of the UK where support for Scottish independence is really quite low. That's right. That's right. And one of the things that's happened, but what, but at the same time, one of the things that's happening in England is a rise of soft English nationalism. Actually, I think the rise of UKIP south of the border has got a lot to do with with um, you know plugging a gap that in Scotland is filled by the SNP, um, and in Labour, curious in Wales actually, curiously is filled by the Scottish Labour by the Welsh Labour Party, which is the most conservative party in in, in Wales. But anyway, the, the the point I think is that you know if there is a yes vote, England is going to feel uh, both uh, confused uh, and then very quickly very angry indeed, because um, England will feel rejected by a country which, uh, in the English mindset, rightly or wrongly, um, uh, England feels Scotland has done extremely well out of the Union. Um, uh, and uh, the idea there that a, um, a, a RUK uh, statesman can turn around to uh, a very aggrieved English policy and say, oh, by the way, even though the Scots have just voted to leave, um, we're going to do them this extraordinary favour going to do an extraordinary deal of bringing them back into a currency union. We're going to be the lender of last resort for Scottish banks and business. We're going to be, we're going to bail out um, uh, the, you know, we're going to be the Germany um, in the in, in the current in a currency union. Is there nothing in that argument about it being beneficial for both parties to engage in a currency union? Is there nothing in the argument about it being beneficial for trade for uh, the rest of the UK as well? Yeah, but it's just not true, is it? I mean, you know, 10% of our UK trade is with Scotland. 10% is all. Uh, 40% of our UK trade is with the EU. But there's no argument there that it follows that we should necessarily have, uh, you know, we should necessarily go into the currency, in, in, into, the, into, into the Eurozone. 20% of British trade is with the United States, but no one thinks that we should use the US dollar. I mean, Scotland needs a currency zone. 
uh, with the rest of the UK because 70% of Scottish trade is with the rest of the UK. Scotland trades more with the rest of the UK, more than twice as much with the rest of the UK than it does with the rest of the world put together. Right? And, and just yesterday, the Treasury released figures that said that you know more than 270,000 jobs in Scotland that depend on that trade. One in 10 jobs in Scotland depends on trade with the rest of the UK. It will be extremely difficult for Scotland if there is a yes vote, uh, if there isn't a currency union. It will be extremely difficult. Surely there are going to be negotiations. Again, of course there's going to be a negotiation, but the other party to that negotiation is no longer going to be acting on, Scot on Scotland's behalf. The other party to that negotiation is going to be act acting on behalf of the national interests of the rest of the UK and of the rest of the UK alone. Will the other parties not have other views about what they want to achieve out of that negotiation? Such as? Well, Trident? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean I, I've always said that, you know, uh, subject, you know, if there is a yes vote, and of course I, I don't think no. there's going to be a yes vote. I mean, I think it's all, you know, um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, uh, I think all of the evidence is pointing ever more clearly in the direction there's going to be not just a, a no vote, but a pretty big no vote. Um, um, and the reason for that is that, that, is that Salmond and his uh, advisors don't have the answers to critical questions. They don't have an answer on the currency. They don't have an answer on EU membership. They don't have an answer on fiscal deficit. They don't have, you know, that's why there's going to be uh, a, a big no vote, in my view. But, to, but you know, if, if all of that is wrong, and if there is a yes vote, um, then the, the biggest card by a very long way that the, Scots, uh, the Scottish government would have uh, in their hand is try. Is it big enough for a deal? No. No, not big enough for a deal, and neither is the debt thing big enough for a deal. Because, you know, the idea that, well, if we don't get the pound, we won't take our share of the debt is completely preposterous. Um, one, it's pr legally preposterous because it confuses institutions and assets and liabilities and gets it all in a terrible model. And two, of course, you know, if Scotland does that, then the markets will crucify an, an independent Scotland and we'll be starting from, we'll be a basket case. It would be absolutely, it would be devastating. So, um... Uh, no, it's not big enough for a deal. It's not big enough for it. Not, not, uh, Trident isn't a big enough issue for a deal on the currency for the, for the, for the reason that even though Trident is a very big card in Scotland's um, hand, uh, there are answers to it. I mean, Trident could be housed somewhere else. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be housed even in the United Kingdom. It could be housed on the other side of the land. Just extending your argument slightly, Adam, clearly you've set out that in your view there's a very negative outlook for a country in the event of a move towards independence. But looking back to Alastair Darling's inquisition at the recent debate and his refusal to accept that Scotland can be a successful independent country, is, is, that, is that your opinion? Are you saying that Scotland could not be could not be successful? No, not at all. I, 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 no, not at all. I think Scotland could be a successful independent country, uh, but not on the SNP's plan for independence. I think yes. I mean this is this, and this is I think why there will be such a big no vote because the, m most Scots are smart enough and canny enough to see through the bluff and bluster of the SNP and say, well, look, there is no guarantee that there will be a currency union. It doesn't look very likely that there is a, there's going to be a currency union. It's not just the politicians who've ruled it out for political reasons. It's also the economists who said that it's really, really dangerous. I mean, I look at the expert testimony, for example, of my colleague at the University of Glasgow, the Adam Smith, professor of physical economy, Professor Ronald McDonald, who's absolutely devastating in his criticism of the lunacy of the SNP's plans. Do I think Scotland could thrive as an independent country? Absolutely. Do I think Scotland could thrive in the short term as an independent currency on the lunatic, lunatic plans of the SNP? No, it would be very difficult. Let's turn our thoughts then to the scenario that would fall if there was to be a no vote. The referendum, both sides would argue, has, has changed Scotland. In fact, in a previous podcast, George Fawkes argued that it had actually been cathartic for the entire nation to go through the referendum process. Clearly, he's a no advocate. But after, the, after a, a no vote... 
Um, what do you think the reaction will be in Westminster towards a changing dynamic north of the border? Is it possible the government will bring forward uh, new legislation prior to a 2015 general election? How quickly do you think the momentum will build up, Adam? You know, one of the things that has never been understood um, or hasn't been adequately understood in Scotland about the dynamics of devolution, if you can call it that, is Westminster and Whitehall have never imposed devolution on anyone. Right? There's never been, you know, devolution happens in the United Kingdom because there is a coherent local demand for it. It happened in Scotland because there was a demand for it in the 1990s. The same in Wales and the same in Northern Ireland. It, happened, it happens only after referendums, uh, only after there is a, you know, a very clear and coherent uh, dem- local demand for it. And at the moment, we don't see that in Scotland, right? Because that demand now has to be articulated through the Scottish government and the Scottish parliament. The Scottish government is an SNP government that isn't campaigning for more devolution. It's campaigning to end devolution because there would be no devolution in, in independent Scotland. And the Scottish Parliament aren't uh, looking uh, at uh, devolution at the moment because they have an SNP majority. So the first thing that Whitehall and Westminster will do after a no vote is turn around to the Scottish government and say, look, you've lost. Independence has been defeated. It's a way. Forget about it. What do you want now? We've published our plans. Labour have published their plans. Liberal Democrats have published their plans. The Tories have published their plans. So there's plenty of options on the table here, but you you are the only major party uh, in Scottish public life not to have said where you want to take devolution from here. And I don't think Westminster or Whitehall should do anything until the SNP have come on board. Do you think they will ask that question? I mean, do you think that David Cameron will ask that question of Alex Hammond after an over? I think they should. I, th- I think they should, yeah. The Prime Minister, I would like to see the Prime Minister um, uh, come out on the 19th or 20th of September after a nice big handsome no win and say, look, now what? Right? The, the referendum does not solve the problems of Scottish constitutional governance. It certainly doesn't solve the problems of British constitutional governance. Uh, it's clear that there is still um, uh, a, a, a desire uh, in Scotland for there to be a greater sense of autonomy within the union. And, that, and I think a unionist, I regard myself absolutely as a unionist, a, it, it would be incumbent upon unionists, having won the referendum, to deliver that. But, as I say, consistent with British constitutional practice, not to impose it uh, on Scotland unless and until there is a clear articulation of a willingness for it to be delivered uh, by the Scottish Parliament. So the ball will be in the SNP's court. Look, on that point, there definitely seems to have been a change of heart amongst the Westminster leadership. Perhaps not the Lib Dems, who've always thought that way, but certainly of Labour and the Tories towards more devolution. Now, is that a principled stance or is it pragmatic? And I suppose more specifically what I mean is, let's say the result is 52-48. Does that lead to a different form of negotiation than if the result is, say, 62-38? You know, the Unionist parties think that if it's 62-38, they can offer less. No, I don't see. I don't. I don't think the margin um, uh, should uh, um, should 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 determine um, what what happens next. It will influence. It'll be part of the background noise. Um, uh, You know, but I I don't think I don't don't think it should necessarily determine determine what happens next. Uh, I I can't speak for the the Labour Party. I I can't speak for the Scottish Labour Party, and I can't speak for the UK Labour Party. But I. uh, But but actually, I can't speak for any party. But I can speak about the Scottish Conservative Party because I work very closely with them to deliver the proposals in the Strathclyde Commission um, and you know it was really an extraordinary um, privilege to be able to do that because I could see uh, that people who had spent 25-30 uh, years being very worried indeed about devolution had, 
had finally understood that devolution was a good thing for Scotland and a good thing for the Union, that devolution was a good thing for the centre-left and a good thing for the centre-right, and that it was a mistake to have opposed it as uh, vehemently and for as long as the um, Conservative Party op- opposed it. Now, look, look, I mean, the, the reason for all of this is is, is, is is all articulated in the pages of the Strathclyde Commission's report, which isn't very long. It's only 18 pages. You can read the whole thing. Uh, you know, very quickly. We, d- we wrote it deliberately in order for it to be read, unlike the Labour Party, who wrote 500 pages in order for it not to be read. Okay, now listen, before the last grain of sand drops in the sand timer, let me put your constitutional hat back on. I've got a couple of, couple of questions relating to that. Firstly, we've, we've talked a little bit there about a federalist union. You know, is that possible? Can the UK be um, a federation? Secondly, in terms of uh, Scotland, um, you know, the committee system in the Parliament was supposed to provide checks and balances for the government. Um, there was supposedly no need for a second chamber because of that. Well, you know, it's not working, is it? Where do we go from here? You know, where does the rest of the UK go in terms of devolution elsewhere and potentially federalism? And where does the system of parliamentary governance in Scotland go from here? Okay, well, I, I, the reason why I describe myself as a unionist and not as a federalist is because, you know, fe- federalism is a top-down plan, uh, a one-size-fits-all plan. So, you know, all states in the United States of America have the same powers, even whether, whether, you know, whether, whether they're Wyoming with half a million people or California with whatever it is, 60 million people. Um, I, I don't think that kind of imbalance will work in the UK because England is 85% of the United Kingdom. And no federal... I mean, I, you know, I'm very interested in, 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 in federal solutions and neo-federal solutions, quasi-federal solutions, all of this kind of stuff. But I have not ever read one federalist plan for the UK that solves the England question. What do you do, what do, you do with England? Now, federalism might work for Scotland in the UK, uh, but it won't work for England uh, in the UK. That's why, that's why I describe myself as a unionist, because I think we should make a virtue of the asymmetry of our union. England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland are each different from one another. They're not equal members of, uh, of, of, of a single country, uh, either in terms of you know, geographical share or size or, 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 or anything else. I think we should make a virtue of that asymmetry. The second question you asked was about reform of the Scottish Parliament. The, Sc- the Scottish Parliament is broken at the moment um, uh, because uh, we have a government um, with an overall majority that was elected in a system that was expressly designed not to uh, deliver that kind of a result. Um, the Scottish Parliament will continue to be broken for as long as we have a government with an overall majority because the Scottish Parliament is designed such that it will work only if there is minority or coalition government. Uh, I don't think anybody really thinks that the result in 2011 was anything other than a blip. Um, but if it turns out not to have been a blip and turns out to be repeated in 2016 with any of the parties getting an overall majority, well, then we will need very seriously to consider reform of the Scottish Parliament. But the real problem with the Scottish Parliament at the moment is not... Uh, that we have uh, one party to rule them all, the quality of the MSPs that we've elected, and especially in the governing party. We have all, any number of committees are chaired by SNP backbench MSPs who frankly don't know what they're doing. They're not good enough. In Sc- Scotland, Scotland has one MSP or MP for every 28,000 people who live here. England, by contrast, has one MP for every 99,000 people who live there. Scotland is three times as well represented as England. And and, uh, uh, what we're learning uh, is that a country of 5.3 million people struggles to produce uh, 200 or 250 top quality politicians. 
Well, here we are. We weren't expecting that, were we? Thanks, Adam. We always throw in one last question just at the end, which our guests hopefully aren't expecting. As an average listener, you might know, however, that we want to get your estimate on the percentage of votes cast on September the 18th that will be for the yes side of the argument. How, how, what percentage do you think will that will be? 61. 61.39, is it? Oh, yes. Oh, good God. No, no. Okay, uh, 39, 39, I think 38 or 39. Oh, they, 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 you're you're first. We might have a story, man. <laughs> 61%, we'll remember that, Adam. <laughs> thanks very much, good to speak to you. We'll be back in a few minutes with some analysis, but in the meantime, thanks very much to Adam, great guest, great chat. Speak soon. Back shortly with some analysis. Just conversation with Adam. One thing that struck me at the start is I just do not see where the credit, on the one hand, clearly the Nats have a credibility problem with the currency issue, but, but better together do not help themselves by ruling out the fact that at the end of the day, this is a negotiation. Yeah, and I think Adam acknowledged there that Trident was the biggest weapon in the arsenal in that negotiation for um, the Scottish Government, although he stopped short of saying that he thought it was enough because he said he thought it wasn't enough. I'm not so sure about that, and I think fundamentally Trident is an issue that is huge for a group of um, slightly left-wing nationalists, I suppose you could say, but it's not actually that big a deal for a lot of them, and I suspect that after a yes vote was won, I mean, Salmond himself, I suspect, is not hugely exercised personally about Trident, and if it came to getting a currency, I suspect he would quite happily change his view on Trident to make that negotiation work. That's why I think. I think there will be a currency union after. Of course, the difficulty in this negotiation issue for, for nationalists comparing currency union with Trident is that fundamentally the nationalist core voter will see only one, one thing and that's delivering the end of Trident. Whereas the general public want one thing was the current currency and actually the vast majority of people have a much lower priority on Trident and what Alex Salmon's absolute core political belief for 20 years is don't worry about the folk you've already got get on board the folk you don't have it's worked pretty well for him and I think it would have it. I'll tell you what was interesting we move on from Trident really interesting Adam's views coming from a constitutional law expert on the Scottish Parliament committee system the way that's all working yeah because it's, it's, it's you know, clearly it's not working this term and I think it's, it's one thing to say that that's a this term has been an unusual result, but we've only had you know four terms. And to get one unusual result every four terms strikes me as being something that may well need addressed. The more powers you give to a parliament, the longer term, the, the more spot on the constitutional arrangement is going to have to be, and some form of cross check is going to have to be in place. Even without a majority government, even when it has been a minority government, okay, there is more of a check and balance in place. But the committee system has been terrible throughout the life of the parliament, not just in the last four years. It's been a bit more dictatorial in the last four years, but it has been pretty poor in terms of quality. Adam's views, Adam's views on the quality of the parliament I thought were, were interesting, uh, novel, as, uh, as, the, as the civil service would say. Um, brave. Brave. Um, well, quite rightly so. I mean, you know, the one thing that never speaks its name in politics, because no politician's brave enough to say it, but the reality is that the reason our MSPs are not of sufficient quality is they don't get paid enough. It's quite that simple. They don't get paid enough money. And on that bombshell. Guys, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, interesting guest, interesting stuff. Uh, see you next time. That's it from Glasgow. Bye-bye.